Hey, I'm Mark Harari, Vice President of Remodelers Advantage and co-host of Power Tips Unscripted. And that sound can only mean one thing. It's time for an unscripted backup. Today we're going to roll back to Episode 5 with Brandon Bailey. Brandon shares how he built a successful, profitable remodeling company, and it was a good one. Enjoy. Today on Power Tips Unscripted, we talk to Brandon Bailey, owner of Bailey Remodeling and Construction in Louisville, Kentucky. Brandon is going to share how the path he took led to a significant improvement in his business and his life. All that and more in this week's episode. Well, you buy a hat like this, I bet you get a free bowl of soup, huh? Oh, it looks good on you, though. Hey there, I'm Victoria Downing, and welcome to Power Tips Unscripted, where we talk about tips, tactics, and techniques to help you build a strong, profitable remodeling company. You know, Mark, I love talking about business, right? No. <laughs> and just, it's just, it's, I find it exciting. You know, and I think probably I'm boring to some people because I get into it so much, but that's... You love the numbers. The numbers make me go to sleep. Yeah, but, well, I like watching them rise, right? Oh, oh I like right seeing direction. things point up and to the right. Yes, very much I don't, so. I don't want to get into the nooks and crannies of it all. But it's not just numbers. There's so much more that goes into it, right? It's personnel. It's marketing, your passion. It's There's so much that goes into it, and which makes it very exciting. And that's one of the reasons I'm super excited about our guest today. I've met Brandon Bailey many years ago now, I think, and he is also very passionate about business and improving his business, and he does what it takes to make the changes. He doesn't rely on just what he knows. He's been going outside, finding other resources, and I'm excited to hear about the path he's taken, some of his insights, and uh, how he made this big change in his business. So welcome, Brandon. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for being here. Again, you know, you, like me, just like talking business, like making it happen, like watching the results. So when talk a little bit about where you were when we first met several years ago. Um, I think we met in around 2009 at the National Remodeling Show mm-hmm. in Chicago. Um, our business at that time, uh, I'd been doing it for about five years. I just picked up uh, a business partner to help, help me grow the business so I didn't have to do it all by myself. Um, and, and kind of struggling, obviously that time, uh, the phone wasn't ringing off the hook for people in our business. Um, and at that point it was just a survival mode mentality that I had. Although I saw a lot of people at that time of the shows really depressed. I mean, their numbers had gone down for several years and their standard of living had gone down. I just kind of leveled out, um, at that time. So it was just more of a bump in the road and less of a major life shock. But uh, yeah, things were not going great uh, when we got together around that time. But what were some of the challenges you were having specifically? Like what were some of the pains you were having around your business? Yeah, I mean, gosh, at that point, I didn't have even much of an infrastructure or a good good systems and processes, anything from related to, you know, selling, having a system for selling, having a system for how we produce jobs, uh, system for how we prospect and get new customers. I mean, I had, um, I got into the business. It wasn't a family business. Um, I had kind of not been successful in another career and was interested in this idea of remodeling. So I started from scratch in 2005. So mm. for me, it was just like learning everything. I mean, everything from even remodeling to, um, to running the business. 
So a lot of remodelers are in the position that you were then with none of these systems in place. How did that lack of of know-how, lack of systems, how did that manifest itself? I mean, what was happening within the business that made you realize you needed those things? Well, I mean, you know, living a, a life where you're just sort of anxious, like anxious mm-hmm. as to whether this job's going to get produced the way I told the customer what it was going to be, or anxious that the phone was going to ring. You know, those lack of systems created a lack of consistency. We weren't able to get um, consistent, predictable results, and thus uh, customer experience is very, you know, it's kind of like just living, you know, running around like a chicken with his head cut mm-hmm. off, you know, and if I was successful, it was more by accident and less because I intentionally did a series of things that were going to see me through that success. So Brandon, was there a moment that like the straw that broke the camel's back that made you say, okay, I need to change something? And what was it and what did you do? Yeah, I I think for me, it was, um, I was, uh, you know, getting on in my life. I, I think I got engaged in 2009 and it was, you know, a matter of saying, like, am I going to, you know, become a man here and lead a family successfully? And I needed to kind of get things under control in my career, and I needed to stop, you know, just winging it. Mm-hmm. And uh, that wasn't working for me. And so uh, seeking out uh, folks that could point me in the right direction and guide me is is ultimately what I decided I needed. I couldn't just take my natural skills because they were not taking me very far. Um, and so I think that struggle of, uh, of just not having a, a good um, living that I felt good about um, on a daily basis is what inspired me to say, hey, let's, let's pull it together here and let's, you know, sanity's doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. I knew I needed to do something different. And, and actually, this business coach was the first thing that I got into before I was, got involved in the Roundtables group. But that was kind of the start of this whole systemization of what we do. No, you and John, your partner, were working together at that time. Was he all on board mm-hmm. with you saying, we have to go outside and find some help and invest money in this? Yeah, I mean, we knew we didn't have the answers. Um, and we didn't really have the money to do it either, but we knew we couldn't afford not to. Uh, so we made that a high priority because we both were kind of facing that same issue. Is like, hey, let's figure out how to, how to make this work or move on to a different career. And you know, getting that outside help is ultimately the difference and what allowed us to continue and have a thriving business like we do today. So how did you search out those resources? How did you find the, the first business coach and, and how did you choose? Was that, that was actually from a networking group, uh, Business Network International, BNI, mm-hmm. uh, you guys are probably familiar with. Yep. Uh, there just happened to be a business coach in that. And I, you know, listened to him tell his his story and what it was he was looking for and, you know, very quickly realized, Hey, that's, you know, that we, we need to, we need to get into that, into that. Um, and I was looking at the same time, I was looking for a peer group, but didn't know that any existed. Mm-hmm. So it was going to the national remodeling show and doing their continuing education classes and their boot camps there. And then that's when we ran into you guys and, and finally learned about the, the, uh, the round table. So it was like, it was getting out of Louisville, Kentucky, in a way, like finding, you know, mm-hmm. like I said, the National Remodeling Show and uh, just kind of getting out in the community that, that exposed us to that that existed. Okay, great. So what was one of the first actions that you took to start to change the results of your company? Um, our business coach uh, sat down and said, hey, let's look at your key performance indicators, you know, leads, 
conversion rate, average dollar per sale, uh, margin. And he said, all right, you know, which of these, you know, can we set some goals to change some of these things? What's your problem right now? Is it a lack of leads? Is it your margin? Is it your conversion rate? You know, and so we, we identified what our top priorities were at the time. And I think like conversion rate was one that we really needed to work mm-hmm. on and uh, margin is something we needed to work on, but we put that off. Uh, we needed to work on getting leads. We needed to get the phone to ring and we needed to convert. So he helped us put together, um, you know, goals, objectives, mm-hmm. um, and actual actions associated with each of those two key performance indicators so that the phone would ring and we turn right. those people into customers. And it was kind of following a path. And you could do that against any of those key performance indicators, um, you know, establish a goal, have an objective, put together actions and tasks. And it was kind of following that path through. So just real quickly for our audience, explain the conversion rate or the conversion percentage. Yeah. Yeah. So it would mean that uh, if I were to give 10 proposals, how many of those would convert to sales? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, at the time, we didn't have a lot of time to waste or have leads that didn't convert to sales. So a conversion rate of uh, two out of 10 would be 20%. That meant eight eight out of 10 times I was, you know, effectively wasting my time Mm -hmm. unless I'm getting referrals from the people that said no. Um, So we wanted to increase uh, our likelihood that maybe we'd get six out of 10 or seven out of Mm -hmm. 10 um, so that our time was most effectively used. So we put a lot of work in into, you know, what that process would look like. And it actually later got into sales training with the Sandler system and boy, it's increased even a lot more. But at the time we did little things to help our conversion rate. So you guys determined that it wasn't, the leads were not qualified. It was that the sales process was, was at, at fault, that they were qualified leads and you just were um, not effectively selling. Is that right? Yeah, I think it was, gosh, we just were doing everything wrong, but that was one thing that was kind of an easier, low hanging fruit. I mean, you know, everything from creating a proposal that was going to be bound and have a cover sheet and have, Mm. You know, a, a, an actual um, process where it looked the same every time, and when people got it, it looked a lot different from everybody else's. And so, you're giving an actual professional construction packet, not a, uh, you know, not a one-page piece of paper that was typed up on, you know, one or two pages that are typed up on Microsoft Word that a lot of our competitors still do. Okay, great. That's awesome. Just that changing that branding, that uh, expectation of uh, from your prospects. Did your proposals have yeah. little clip art images of a guy with a hard hat, things like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, some something along those lines. In fact, we still use uh, some of the same things for that. Although, you know, now in my sales, I learned, you know, that the presentation isn't necessarily where the conversion rate happens. But that was just like one little thing that right. we were able to tackle at the beginning um, that we think sort of set us apart from other folks so- that came out of that. When you process. when you talked to the business coach, obviously you know you and John were all in. You bought in. You knew you had to make these changes. How did you sort of push that down through your staff? Well, that was really easy because at that time our staff consisted of me and John, oh. <laughs> and so uh, that didn't that was not a problem. We were both on board and willing to, to do the tough things to see success come through. So, what are some of the other changes you've made over time? Oh, gosh. So, you know, through all of this, through, you know, being involved in the roundtables, you know, everything was evolving into, you know, taking on the lead carpenter system. 
um, and, and hiring employees. Those were changes that we, we learned. I mean, we were just going to have a job if we were just going to be remodelers, just the two of us. And so the power of having employees that can help see through what you're selling has been a life-changing thing for us. But obviously that brings on its own set of challenges. But changes like uh, how we approach uh, our margin and what we value ourselves and how much we sell for, uh, changes of how we sell. I mean, I've spent two and a half years now working on an ongoing basis, doing sales training with a coach, and, and it is my life looks completely different now than it did uh, three years ago before I started doing the coaching. And our, I, th- I think the, the trajectory of our company has changed quite a bit as a result of that as well. You know, so real quick, let's get a, a snapshot here of, of your company. So you said when you first got started with this, it was just the two of you. What's, what's your company look like now? So um, we are getting ready to, we have uh, five field staff, four project managers, lead carpenters, we call them project managers here, uh, and a carpenter support in the field. We're, we're looking to hire a, another carpenter support person. And so that makes up our, our production team. John, my business partner, he is the production manager that oversees those guys. And then we've got a full-time office administrator um, and a designer on staff. So we're at nine people and, and moving to 10. So we've it's really kind of scary in the way to go, wow, we went from two of us and we started hitting double digits. Like that's really exciting. Um, and then from a, just a volume perspective, I mean, heck in 2009, we probably hit $500,000 worth of work and we'll do a lot more than that in just the first quarter here wow. uh, this year. So very, very different world that we live in now um, since then. How did things change from a margin point of view with, you know, sharing as much as you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, um, and this is one, and, you know, Victoria, you helped us uh, along the way with this, too. Um, We were not charging enough for what we were offering, the experience we were offering, and it took um, actually making a commitment in a a roundtable meeting um, uh, that we were going to increase our margin up to a place where uh, we were more in line, at least in the starting place, and basically we, we needed to increase our margin by 10 percentage points which actually needed, meant we needed to increase our market by 20 percentage points. Mm-hmm. And that was, I remember walking out of that meeting, like scared and like wondering, like, okay, this is kind of a make or break thing for us. Either this is going to happen, it's going to work, or because I don't think it was sustainable. We weren't charging enough and it was a lot of work and uh, we weren't making enough money to have a good support team around us and to, to long-term accomplish the goals we wanted for our families in our business. And so um, that'll be, this April will be two years of celebrating that. I say celebrating because it, it, it worked. We were able to, to make it happen and, um, and our lives are a lot better. I mean, we have Tim Fowler here right now doing a training that we're paying, you know, a decent amount of money for our production team. And we, it was like a no brainer where, you know, three years ago, because we weren't charging enough, we didn't have money in our budget to do things like that. I just realized, yeah, Tim, Tim's down there right th- today, right now, as mm-hmm. you're doing this interview, isn't he? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I literally just finished my, my interview with him, so uh, it's just, we're really excited about that. Well, so we can't get off that subject quite that fast, because that's something that we know <laughs> that lots of our members, when they come to us, one of the first things they're told is, you know, you're undercharging. So before you went to all these outside resources and learned what you what you were learning, what did you base your pricing model on when you were not charging enough. How did you come up with the pricing model you did? Yeah. So 
a good question. So I, and on one hand, it hasn't changed in this one aspect, and that is, and this is not like, I'm not saying that it's like a price gouging thing, but I feel like you're always charging as much as you feel like someone might be willing and able to pay for that particular service. And I think in my mind, uh, you know, I think my markup uh, early on was, you know, 25 or 30% because mm. I thought, oh, that's the most somebody's going to be willing to pay for this. And then, um, you know, what I've come to learn is, yeah, there's a lot of people that might be all they're willing to pay for. That probably means they're not our customer, and I need to prospect to find people that are willing to pay the markup that's appropriate for us now. And and I believe that. And so I'll, I look back and I laugh and I go, I can't believe I was selling at that price. I think the price I'm selling at now, I expect a few years from now, I'll, I'll do the same thing and maybe laugh and say, I can't believe I was selling at that price point. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't very scientific. Um, in fact, it varied um, from job to job and that lack of consistency wasn't good either. And so, uh, yeah, it's uh, right now we do fixed price uh, contracts and um, we're working with a 50% markup right now. Sweet. And trying not to vary from that. So what was the most difficult change you had to make in your business? The most difficult change that I had to make in my business? I, you know, I actually think uh, increasing our margin was a very difficult change um, because it meant that I had to change who it was I was talking to. I had, mm-hmm. as far as like prospective customers, I had to be more deliberate about the type of prospecting that I did. I had to accept the fact that a lot of people, you know, that previously were my customers and my referral source might not be my customers mm-hmm. going forward. Um, and so I kind of, that, that was a, uh, a revolution for us. Like, kind of, it was almost like it felt like we were starting without a huge past customer base to lean on. Oh, yeah. Um, because the people we've been selling to weren't necessarily our customers going forward. So, Brandon, for and sure. as you're growing your business, who, which position or who was your first employee? Uh, first employee, first person that you would hire as you were growing a business? It, that you and uh, John a, hired after like a, you and a, John. From a yeah. one man? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Our first employee, the lead carpenter, was the, was the critical one. Um, and then, and, and interestingly, we found we couldn't just hire one lead carpenter. Uh, because what was happening is John was managing, like we hired a carpenter and John was trying to manage four jobs at a time. And then it became like five jobs at a time. And it was like, it was too much. So we quickly changed and identified that carpenter could do two jobs at one time and work as a lead carpenter project manager. So we very quickly then hired essentially one or two more of those people to fill that role. So now it was scalable. Um, and now we have four uh, lead carpenters. Now we can run eight jobs at a time. But at least getting that that first person that's in the field that can handle meeting the subs on the site and doing some trim work. I mean, as a business owner, if I'm out touching a tool, I'm not growing my business. I'm just performing a task mm-hmm. that's a part of a job. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, removing yourself from the production is a uh, big key to um to actually having a career and a business, not just a job. So what do you say to those people who love production? They love it. They don't ever want to be out of the field. They love putting their hands on the lumber and the all the stuff. All the stuff. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think that's fine. I think you can make a really nice career doing that. I, I, on one hand, I would say maybe it means running a remodeling business isn't where they need to be. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's what they love, you can make a really great living doing that work and charging other remodelers a bunch of money if you're really good at it, mm-hmm. um, especially in the shortage of trades that are out there right now. 
I mean, there's framers out there in our community that are making $100,000 a year and more, um, and trim carpenters that are making really good living. They don't have the burden of running this all the sales right. and all the other things associated with remodeling. I think for someone that is a tradesman, you know, that's very different from being a business owner. And I think choosing which direction they need to go will have a big impact. I think it'd be really hard to do both. So, Brandon, how has your life and John's life changed since you started in this down this path? Well, gosh, it couldn't be any different. I mean, our business coach, we we stopped working with him after a couple of years when he got involved with other things like roundtables, but we'll see him periodically, and, and he always laughs uh, when he sees us because I think, you know, at the time we told him we were single guys. You know, if we had enough money to um, – pay our bills and have a little fun that was fine and I think we were making fifty thousand dollars a year like yeah this is great this is all we need and you know now uh both John and I are married we each have two kids our wives are able to stay at home with our kids we are out of debt we are going on nice vacations we're we're just we're we're successful in our career, which has allowed us to have time to do other things in lives that are important. I mean, our business does not run our lives. John and I both work 45 hours a week or less. We take several weeks vacation and um, we're really proud of what we do, but also proud to have employees that um, are able to take care of their families and have a career that they're proud of. So, I mean, ultimately all that doesn't happen unless someone starts to tell me how to start making that happen. Cause I certainly, can't you know it's like recreating the wheel is a is a fruitless exercise that's what's changed as a result of going down this path well that is a fabulous report and didn't i just see on social media that you were the recipient of quite a prestigious award uh yes uh we have the second largest home builders association in the country here in louisville with over two thousand members um and we were recognized uh, as the remodeler of the year in that organization. Oh, so that was awesome. something that we worked really hard towards and are very proud of that recognition here. Congratulations. That's fantastic. Yeah. Thank well, you. Well, it sounds like everything's going so good for you. I might have to throw you a curveball. You know what time it is? Okay. It's the time. It is, uh, it's, is it our lightning round time. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. And now, here's the Remodeler's Advantage Lightning Round. It's a trap! All right, Brandon, you, you all set? Still, What's that? I was making sure you were still there, so I did <laughs> Oh, you're not that lucky. <laughs> all right, all right, here we go. Let's put 60 seconds on the clock. What's your favorite business book and why? You know, I read Jim Collins' Good to Great a few years ago, and that concept of the hedgehog concept, uh, you know, finding that intersection of what you're passionate about, what you can be the best to the world at. Um, people ask us all the time, hey, you going to do new construction? you going to do commercial? It's like, no, let's just do residential remodeling, and let's be the best of the world at it and not let that, anything get in our way. If you weren't the owner of Bailey Remodeling and Construction, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, I like the idea of, uh, of getting involved uh, like as like a family counselor. Um, and there's just something about like connecting with people and helping kind of change their lives and working through things like that um, that's really fascinating to me. What are you not very good at? I'm not good <laughs> at following checklists. That's not something I'm good at. Man after my own heart. <laughs> <laughs> your, your room, your desk, or your car, which do you clean first? 
uh, my car is organized um, for sure. For some reason, I just can't live. My kids, my two and four year old, do their best to ruin it, but I just can't get into a rolling garbage can for some reason. <laughs> so I definitely clean my car first. Crayola announced they're adding the color Brandon Bailey to the crayon box. What color is it, and why? Um, I think that it is some shade of blue, um, and that probably has to do here in Kentucky. We're big college basketball fans in the University of Kentucky Blue, uh, and it's our company logo, and it's, it's probably some version of blue. All right, good job, Brandon. Well, Brandon, this has been awesome. I love talking business with you always, and it's exciting to hear about the results that you have achieved by, you know, taking action, making it happen, you know, not settling for where you were. So good job. So before we wrap up here, I'd love to talk to you or have you share five words of wisdom with our listeners. Well, um, I really think this, this concept of, you know, you don't know it all. And, um, it comes back to me. I, I think the moment we think we know it all is when, you know, things stop and we're never going to progress when we stop pursuing learning or getting advice Mm -hmm. or insights from other folks. And ultimately, I mean, I think that's what our business has been based on is John and I humbling ourselves enough to say, Hey, maybe someone out there knows something I do don't know. And maybe there's a better way. That is wonderful. I think that's uh, really helpful. Wonderful, wonderful five words of, of wisdom. Thank you so much, Brandon. And we look forward to seeing you at the next roundtables meeting. Thank you guys. I, that, that was that was really good interview. Really. And, you know, not everybody takes action like Brandon and John do. You know, we can see that if somebody jumps in and starts doing things right away, they inevitably see the results that are similar to what they saw. Mm-hmm. And you, his wor- five words of wisdom, he, he actually blew through it. So I'm just going to repeat it. You don't know it all. Right. You don't know it all. Mm-hmm. Really good. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, a lot of people always be learning and mm-hmm. keep on learning and keep on trucking. Well, I feel like I'm going to start singing. <laughs> Please don't. Keep on learning. <laughs> yeah. All righty. New theme song for this, baby. <laughs> but you know what? I think it's actually time for Naomi. Don't you? Yeah. Let's let her take it away. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye, everybody. This has been another episode of Power Tips Unscripted, the remodeler's guide to business. Visit www.remodelersadvantage.com to learn more about Roundtables, our world-class peer advisory program. There you can also find information about our business consulting services, upcoming live events, and much more. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to the show and comment on iTunes. Thanks for listening. It's a beautiful day.